So um, I just want us to honor Barry as he comes up and, and brings the word to us this morning. So if we could stand to our feet, that would be great. And clap your hands. Make a big Welsh noise for Barry Roberts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going up here, I'm going up here. Cool, stay on your feet, stay on your feet. Is there some faith in the house this morning? Come on, what, uh, what, some people come to church for the worship, that's the best bit. Some people come to church for the cakes and the coffee, and that's the best bit. So, <laughs> some people come to church for the preaching, that's the best bit. But you know what? Let's tune in now, because God's going to do something right now. Come on, I just want to invite you just to close your eyes, and just to get into that, what I want to call worship pose. Now, maybe it's a, an arm out, or an arm hand raised, or just, just thoughtful. Lord, we come before you. You are God, and we're not. We honor you. We thank you that you first loved us. And we count it privilege. We get to come together on a Sunday morning and give our full attention to you. Lord, I just pray in this moment you could use someone like me to speak encouragement to awesome people like this. Lord, we stand on your truth. You are sovereign. And the result is, church, we win. So I declare that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. So you can sit down, turn to three people, say, this is going to be good. It better be now. Just uh, as we were worshiping, then I, um, you know, I, I was looking around the room and I had a, a couple of words. And um, just young man here, uh, you caught my eyes. We were worshiping. No, stay where you are. But I just felt like God wanted to encourage you, because I want you to be encouraged at your stage of life that we need you, the church needs you. Uh, and I'm, I concern myself as a younger man, although I'm middle-aged now, but as a younger man that we're steady. That, uh, that we too quickly write off an older generation, and yet we need your wisdom. We need the years of experience you've got. And do you know what I loved? You know, we are trying to excite a younger generation to get passionate about Jesus. And I turn around, and possibly the oldest man in the room is like this. We need you! And so I feel like what God is saying to you is your time's not done. He's going to give you a voice. And take your moments to speak into lives. Not necessarily platform, it might be, but not necessarily. It's about one-to-ones. You're a father in the church. You're a pillar in the church. And we need you. So be encouraged. You can. Do you want to sit on the mic? God took me out of alcoholism. I was 50 years old when I gave my heart to the Lord and changed my life. And I said to God, where have you been all my life? And he pointed out certain things in my life. And he said, I was with you. He said, you should have had a broken back. But he said, I guided you through when you fell out of the tree and broke my arm. I had cancer. He cured me of cancer. Because I stand in faith. And this is, I always say, walk in faith. Trust God in everything. And he'll see you through. But you've got to believe it's in his time, not our time. And I praise God every day. I, I, pray, I got married a year the day you got, 15th of December last year, I got married. Wow. It's my anniversary on that night. And I prayed for God to give me a Christian woman in my life. And he's given me a beautiful wife. I'm 28 years older than that, but God, thank God. Come on. Come on. I'm nearly 80. I'm in 78. But God has been so good to me. I go through a few things, but I just say, God, I'm leaving that with you. I used to worry a lot about paying stuff and paying this. And I said, God, I can't worry about this. I'm your child. So
so I'm leaving it with you, and I'm trusting you with everything in my life. So good. We need to hear these stories, don't we? So, so good. And, and I think I had a word for Ben, but I think he's gone to children's ministries. But can you just tell him that as we were worshipping, I felt like God was saying he's made some great choices. Uh, whoever's friendly with him, maybe tell him afterwards that I believe that he's been through some stuff where he's had to make good choices. And not everyone's seen it, but he's made good choices. And God wants to encourage him that he's going to promote him. I don't know what that looks like in his life, but God is saying to Ben, if you get to tell him, God's about to promote him. So, um, so we should just believe for those things. Okay, we are ready for this. I've got, a, uh, I've got a great message. You know, I know some of the journey you've been on as a church, and I want to believe, and I hope you'll believe with me, that this Sunday is going to be a springboard Sunday. For you as an individual, but for you as a church, that you'll look back on this Sunday and you'll think, yeah, that was the day it shifted, and you shot yourself forward. I believe that God wants you and the church to shoot forward. Amen? Come on, let's be a bit responsive. How about over this side? We're going to shoot forward. How about in the middle? We're going to shoot forward. How about this side? We're going to shoot forward. Yes, I knew there were some people in the room somewhere. But this is going to be a key Sunday. My message title, if you like a title, is It's Your Turn. Touch the person to your right and say, it's your turn. And where I'm going with this is that it's in life, we all have dreams, we all have hopes, we all have wrestles, we all have stuff going on. And we're saying, God, you know, come on, when, when am I going to get my turn? You know, I've been believing for that thing. And when am I going to get my turn? And just when you're waiting for your turn, everyone around you is getting their turn. And of course, you want to be happy for them because we're good Christian people and we want to be happy for them. But inside you're going, God, when's it going to be my turn? Well, God sent me here today to say to you, it's your turn. It's your turn. Something's got to shift inside of you because it's your turn. You're not believing it yet, but you're going to believe it by the end of this session. It's your turn. You know, some people are believing for a financial breakthrough. Well, I'm here to say it's your turn. Some people are believing for a good health report. Well, I'm here to say it's your turn. Some people are believing for a relationship. It's your turn. Some people are believing for whatever it might be in your world. I'm here to say it's your turn. Come on, let's stir it in your hearts. Come turn to the other person on the other side of you and say it's your turn. We need to keep saying this because otherwise we don't believe it. Who knows that when you speak it, God spoke the earth and it came into being. Sometimes we need to say something for it to start becoming real. Amen? So I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through and however long that takes, it's your turn. It's your turn. I've got so many stories in my life when it was nearly my turn. Uh, most of you will know what I played professional football many years ago. And as a junior, I, I played all through the Ipswich Town ranks. Um, yeah, Rich's favourite team. And uh, I was there, and I was at under-15s level, and um, um, Bobby Robson, who was the manager of Ipswich way before that, was currently the England manager. And they'd organised a game from Bobby Robson's England team uh, against his old Ipswich team, and it was for charity. And before the game as a warm-up, they had the Ipswich Town boys team against the England boys team. And I'd been given a phone call, Barry, we'd like you to come to that game, we want to include you. Great, I'm all chuffed. You know, it's going to be a full house, 20 or thousand people, I'm 15 years old, who wants to play in that front of that crowd? I'm like, come on! I was all excited. And I turned up and I was all suited and booted and ready to go. And my parents had driven me there and they were all chuffed and you could see all the crowds coming in. And I was like, I was getting all excited. And they take me to the dressing room. Uh, and, I, and I wasn't sure where, where to go, and I was chatting with my friend, and, uh, and we walked in together, and I was sitting in the England dressing room. And I thought, I've made it. I've made it. I'm in the England dressing room. And I was, I was all chuffed with myself, and the kit was up, and the socks were out, and the shorts were there, and the boots were all clean by you, and all the England staff were coming. I thought, oh, my God, I'm in the England team, aren't I? I was all chuffed with myself. 
And then the Ipswich coach put his head in the room and said, Barry, you're with us. And I had to do the walk of shame. All the team were there and I had to get up and walk out of the room and go and sit in the Ipswich town dressing room. I was so close. It was nearly my turn. But it wasn't my turn. So if you've had that kind of experience in your life where you've so nearly got there, you nearly got the breakthrough, I know what that feels like. But I'm here today to say something is about to shift. This is a springboard weekend for you, and it's your turn. Come on, can you feel it in your spirit? Something's about to shift. I've come here to give you a whole bunch of tools. Because there's process sometimes in gaining your turn, and there's things we can do. Here's the passage I want to base the whole thing on. It's a familiar passage. I'm sure many of you will know. It's in John 5, and it's verses 1 through 9. It will come on the screen. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel, of the, uh, an, an angel went down at certain times into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Tell the person next to say 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool whenever the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that was the day of the Sabbath. Here is this guy who has been lame, paralyzed for 38 years. A long time. There are people in this room who are younger than that. Not many, but younger than that. And he's been lame. And what's been happening? The Paul stirs. And he's like, this is it. It's my turn. And just as he's trying to get there, he can't. Someone else gets up and gets in and gets well. How frustrating to see that for 38 years. He can't get there. He's struggling. He's trying to push through. And then Jesus turns up. And Jesus turns up and asks what I'm going to call the big question. Do you want to get well? Hello? Um, let me think about that for a moment. I've been sat here for 38 years watching all the people I've sat here with get in the pool and be made well. And I'm stuck. It's literally never my turn. And I see everyone else have their turn. I can see the answer. I can almost touch the answer. I can smell it. I can see other people getting it. And I'm stuck. And Jesus comes and says, do you want to get well? Hello? But here's the thing. And here's where we need to consider it from our own perspective. Did Jesus see not the lameness of the man, not his predicament, not his circumstance. He didn't see those things as the issue. He saw something else as the issue. The thing that Jesus saw as the issue was what was going on on the inside of the man. The, his vision, his faith levels. He didn't believe he would ever get well. And we know that by the way he answered Jesus. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Now, I don't know what your situation is. Let's just make one up. 
Imagine you are flat broke. You aren't meeting the bills. And for months you've been saying, God, give me the breakthrough. God, give me the breakthrough. Because you know God is the God of the provision. And he's, he's like, well, do you want to be made well? You're like, yes, Jesus. Will you supply? Yes. You answer, yes. Will you supply? How did this guy answer? Do you want to be made well? Well, when the water stirred, I can't get there. Everyone else always gets there first. It's never going to happen for me. He didn't even answer Jesus' question. He just told him all the reasons why it wasn't going to happen. And I wonder, church, if we find ourselves in a position where we've been believing for a breakthrough for so long and watching other people have their breakthrough for so long, that even when Jesus shows up in your world saying, can I step in, you don't say yes you say, but this, but that, but the other thing. And what's happening there is you're declaring what's going on on the inside of you. Do you know what? Your circumstances, Jesus could shift in a moment. But your inside is your choice. And Jesus has come and questioned what is going on on the inside of you. So my first question to us today, church, is how do we respond to Jesus' big question? Do we respond with all the reasons why it's never going to happen for us? Or is there a faith shout in our hearts that says, yes, it is my turn. I'm going to stand on that. I'll do whatever it takes. It is my turn. Jesus didn't respond to his questions, his reasons. Do you want to get well? Well, the water gets stirred and I can't get there and everyone else gets there first and I've got all these problems. Jesus didn't go, oh, there, 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 never mind, I'll help you. He just said, pick up your mat, get up, stop moaning about it, get up. And I wonder, church, if actually we need a bit of a Jesus rocket up the backside sometimes. Stop moaning and making all the excuses and respond to Jesus and say, it's time for me to get up. It's time for me to shift something on the inside because either God is God or he's not. And if God is God, and we've heard great testimony around the room today, he can do it for you too. So could we get our eyes off of our circumstances? All the reasons why I'm sick. All the reasons why I'm not in a relationship. All the reasons why I don't have the finances. All the reasons why X, Y, and Z. And start saying, can God do that for me or can't he? And if the answer to that is yes, come on, it's time to get up. It's time to shift what's going on the inside and stop looking at what's going on on the outside. Is there an amen in the house? I want to believe that we can start having a victor mentality and not a victim mentality. You, I don't know if you read the end of the Bible, but you win. When you get up on a Monday morning, your starting point is victory. Every day. When you put your feet down out of your bed, all of hell is like, oh no, they're up. All of heaven is like, yes, my church is alive. Is that your starting point here? Because if it's not, could we get there? Because when you put your foot on the ground, it's like, come on, the weight of heaven is behind me. Maybe everything isn't where I want it to be right now, but that isn't my lot in life because I have a victor mentality and I'm going to take strides forward because I know my God will back me. There's a faith declaration in my heart and I'm going to live like that. Come on, church, can I stir you up this morning? Today has to be a new day in the church. It is your turn. So this guy's waited 38 years. That's a long, long time. And you can almost, because of the period of time, accept how we would feel about that. But if you've waited for a long time and are still waiting, can I give you a couple of good pointers? Because even in the waiting, you can be active. Not just allowing life to happen to you, but be active. 
Can I suggest the first thing you can get really active in doing is praying? Sometimes, church, we forget the basics. We focus on our problems so much. It's been going on so long. It's getting in our head. We wake up and our first thought is, oh, no, that's still not right. When our first thought should be, thank you, Jesus, that you are my answer. You know, we need to start declaring that our problems uh, that might be big, but our God is bigger. And as we get into that place and in faith with God, we start focusing on the answer and not on the problem. Do you know it says this in Matthew 6 and verse 6? I like the graphic. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. You can fight in the quiet place, and God will reward you in the public place. So I don't know what you're believing for, but I bet, it, but I bet it's public. I bet whatever needs to change in your world, people will see it. But you know what will happen? When you start getting in the quiet place and start moaning about the issue and start speaking to the answer, God will say, I see your faith. I see your trust. Something is changing on the inside of you. Your focus now isn't on the problem, it's on me. And as you get your focus on me, I will shift your world and I'll reward you in public. People will see it. And people need to see your victory because it's the best way to show them what Jesus looks like. People don't need you to go up with your Bible and go, Bash, you need Jesus. They need you to live like it. Be transparent. People see your issues. I love it when we come into church life and people sit at the back and they'll think, oh, if I sit at the back, no one will know my issues. We can all see it, people. We all know. But then when God does something and you shift and your world shifts and your attitude shifts, people also see that. And that right there is the greatest declaration of the goodness of God. Your testimony is powerful. Do you know what the word testimony means? The word testimony means do it again. So when you hear someone has been cured of cancer and he speaks it out, do you know what he's saying? He could do it for you too. Do it again, God. We need to declare our testimony. Oh, I've had a financial breakthrough. Mike's up the front here. Do you know what he's doing? He's saying, God, you did it for me. He could do it for you. Do it again. And when we hear the testimony, something shifts. And we stop looking at the problem and start looking to the answer. See, Jesus went to this guy and said, do you want to be well? And all he did was point at the problem. And Jesus said, oh, shut, shut up. Get up, man. Maybe God is saying to me and you today, shut up. Get up. Something that, can you, are you hearing me? Is that a bit harsh? Is that a bit harsh? Maybe Jesus wouldn't say that. Maybe that's me. A little bit harsh. A little bit harsh. Sorry, Jesus. Didn't represent you well there. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the trouble is we want the desires of our heart, and we forgot to delight ourselves in the Lord. Could we go to the quiet place, Matthew 6, 6, and pour out your heart to the Father? Oh, there's lots of dads in this room, but I know, I know dads' hearts. When your kids come to you and say, Dad, would you do this for me? If you could in any way do it for them, you would. Josh, I'm not giving you a loan. Don't start that. Yeah. He doesn't ask for loans. He just asks for gives. <laughs> but do you hear what I'm saying? When you in the quiet place go to the Father, the Father pours his heart out on you. And he rewards what goes on in that relationship publicly. And your world will change. So the first thing we can do during the waiting process is draw near to the answer in prayer. 
what does your quiet life look like? Could you improve it? Part of your springboard experience this weekend is to make a decision, and it is a decision, that I am going to get on my knees before my God regularly and share my heart with him, getting my eyes off of my issues and onto the answers. Is there an amen somewhere in this house? The second thing you can do is look at your worship life. Who knows that worship isn't just a song? You know, we've just worshipped, and we look at that singer. That's not it. Worship's a lifestyle. You see, the song pours out of hearts who've lived worshipfully all week. See, we should come on a Sunday morning ready to pour out in song how we've lived all week. It's just the overflow of how I live. We don't need to come in on a Sunday morning and drum up, oh, it's worship time now. I've got, oh, I've got to start getting my praise on. I've got to start getting my worship on. No, no, that's how I live all of the time. So when I get into this environment, I don't have to drum something up. It's, it's part of who I am. All of the time. Worship is powerful. It says this in Joshua 3 and verse 5. I love this. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. What worship is doing is in the waiting process is we're getting ourselves right before God and we're getting our eyes off of our big problem and onto our big God. We're magnifying him and making this little And what we're doing is today we're preparing ourselves because tomorrow you're going to do something. That's what worship looks like. So we come together on a Sunday full of our issues and we've all got them. Stop pretending you haven't. You have. Let's get real. But you know what? God's bigger. And when we get into the place of worship and a worshipful lifestyle, we magnify God and belittle the issue because he's bigger than the problem. And when you live like that, even through the waiting, you are preparing yourself now for what God's going to do tomorrow. And it causes you to step into it. We know the story of Joshua, where that's happening. They walk around, they do the shout. They do the shout before they've seen anything. They praise before they've seen anything. And when they praise, the walls come down. Who knows? It's worship first, answer second. Sometimes we want to get the answer and then we'll think, oh, I can worship now because my God's good. No, your God's good now. And when we worship the good God now, the answer follows later. And then when you get your answer, you need to tell every Tom, Dick and Harry because they need to hear your testimony because it means do it again. Amen? Come on, this is good stuff. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Here's the thing. Look at this situation with this guy at the pool of Bethesda. Nothing around the man changed. The circumstances were exactly the same. The people around him were the same. The water distance was the same. What happened was the man changed. So often we're waiting for God to change our circumstances when God is trying to change you in your circumstances. And so when we get on our knees in prayer and when we get on our face in worship, God is doing something on the inside of you. Your circumstances don't change, but you do. And as you change, you walk out of your circumstances. Can you get it? So there's something that needs to shift in our mentality that puts God in a different place in our life. The next thing I'd like to think about is, is it time to let the past go? So often I think we live difficult lives because of something that happened last month, last year, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. And we're holding on to this stuff and it's robbing us of life now. And we're looking at the circumstances and we're looking to God. But what really needs to happen is that we have to make a choice. And it is a choice to let the past go. Do you hear what I'm saying? One of the things that gets robbed when you live like that is your confidence. 
And I believe as people have their confidence robbed, it's the lack of confidence which is stopping you from getting up. Your confidence or lack of is keeping you down. And yet we are called to be men and women of confidence. Not confidence in our ability, confidence in his ability working through us. I'm not great, you're not great, he's great. But when he's great in me, I become great and so do you. Do you see the, 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 how it works? Hebrews 1.11, I love this translation of Hebrews 1.11. Now faith is confidence. Turn to the person next and say confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we don't yet see. There's a great definition of faith. I'm confident that my God can do it. I'm confident that I will see it. So if I've been robbed of confidence, no, 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 my faith says get back up. Because I believe my God will. And I believe my God wants to. But I believe my God's waiting for me to shift something on the inside of me because he gives me free will choice. Come on, church, we need to make good choices. If you're in partnerships or relationships with people in the church, come on, keep championing each other's confidence. Come on, don't go down that, don't go down that thought process. Come on, let's build our confidence. And it's those confidence or lack of confidence that's pushing us down. Proverbs 3 verse 25 says to 26 says this. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. See, maybe you think, oh, it's easy for you to say, Bow, you look like a confident kind of guy. I'm just not a confident person. Well, okay, how about that then? God's your confidence. Could he handle your situation? Could we shift it that way then? Well, I'm not a confident person. Well, maybe you're not. Let God be your confidence. And as God becomes your confidence, I'm going to tell you, your confidence will shift. And suddenly you will stop being a person lacking in confidence and turn into someone who's full of confidence. And when you're full of confidence, who knows you try more stuff? I, I used to work as a lifeguard many years ago, and at the pool I worked at, we had three diving boards. You've probably seen them. The one-meter board, the three-meter board, they're the springboards, and then the platform board, which is five meters high. And when you stood on that board, you're looking down five meters to the water. But the trouble is you can see through the water and through to the four meters underneath that. So you're actually looking 10 meters down. And you get up there and you look over there. It's a flipping long way, I'm telling you now. The trouble is everyone who's jumped off it has to have a first time. And when you get up there, you're walking up the stairs, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. They're all confident. And you're often going to get some of the guys trying to show after their girlfriends, I can do this. They get up there, you can see the legs start to, start to go. As they're getting there, they're holding on the bar and they're over like, oh, and it's a long way. I'm telling you, it's a long way. I've sat in the lifeguard's chair and I've watched men stand there for two hours <laughs> trying to build up the confidence. And in the end, you start whistling at them, get down, so get down, get down. No, it's a minute, no, now. And when they jump off, and eventually they do, you don't hurt yourself jumping off a five-meter board. We have all these stories. Oh, if you belly flop, you split your stomach. No, you don't. I belly flop loads of times. Stop it. I used to challenge myself to do somersaults and stuff. And so I did this thing where it was a somersault and a half. a somersault that turned into a dive. It's really painful when you do a somersault and a quarter. And you go over and boom. And you get the biggest slap and you come up. And because and you're trying to say, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. But you don't split your stomach open. All these stories get egged out of proportion. But here's the deal. Once they've jumped off once, they run around, they go up, and they jump off within seconds. Do you know why? Because their confidence shifted. Isn't that the same in life? I don't know what it is you're called to do. I don't know what it is you're struggling with doing. But I know this. Just do it. Because when you do it, your confidence will shoot up and then you'll have no problem doing it again. And we are called as Christians not to stay the same. We are called to move forward and to grow and, into, and to increase. We live in a kingdom of increase. 
The mustard seed's small, but gets bigger and everything changes. That's the kingdom we live in. So if we're staying the same year on, year out, come on, we're doing something wrong. And maybe, just maybe, it's a confidence issue. I love this, that Jesus went up to the guy and said, do you want to get well? And he said, oh, all these problems. And then Jesus just said to him, get up. Do you know he still had a choice then? Jesus didn't force him. We know that our God is love. He's not good at love. God is love. And love doesn't force anything. That's why he gives all of humanity free will choice. He sends his son to die on a cross to say, this is my declaration of love. I love you. I've given my best for you. I've given everything for you. But you can choose. And we all get to choose, yes or no, Jesus or no Jesus. We get to choose because he loves us enough, even when he's given everything to give us free choice. So here is Jesus coming and saying, come on now, get up. Stop focusing on the issues, just get up. Can you imagine that moment? 38 years he hasn't walked. And he says, something rose up in him. <laughs> Staring in the eyes of Jesus, something rose up in him. Come on, church, could we be people who stare in the eyes of Jesus today? Same Jesus. I don't know what your issues are, but they exist. Could we stop looking at the issues and stare in the eyes of Jesus? And he's saying, get up. Well, that guy must have thought, I'm going to have a try. And I don't know, after 38 years, I'm sure his muscles have withered. I'm sure his legs are weak. He hasn't used them, literally hasn't used them for 38 years. And he gets up and he suddenly starts feeling the strength. He starts thinking, oh, I'm doing it. And imagine as he's doing it, he's thinking, I'm really doing it. I'm really doing it, man. I'm doing it. And he's standing up. And I imagine him just, I don't know what it does. The Bible doesn't explain it, does it? But I can just imagine him doing some of this kind of stuff and thinking, oh, oh, I'm really doing it. I can just imagine him going a bit loopy. But what happens is after every step, as he, what's happening is confidence is going up. His confidence is storing. What is it you're afraid to do or you think you should be doing or you feel like God's challenging you to do and you're not doing it? Can I just say, just do it. Just do it. Because what will happen is you'll have a little go and maybe it won't go perfect to start with, but you'll gain confidence and your legs will get stronger and you'll stand up and you'll think, yes, yes, yes. And God will do some amazing things in and through your lives. But it's a confidence issue. Are you hearing me? I hope I'm speaking to someone this morning. In terms of letting go of the past, probably the biggest factor is forgiveness. Everyone in this room has been hurt. Everyone. Everyone in this room has been let down by someone. Everyone. Maybe your parents didn't love you how you deserve to be loved. Sorry, Josh. I'll keep trying. He looks like he's struggling for confidence, doesn't he? Maybe people walked out on you. Maybe a marriage broke down. Maybe, I don't know, someone stole something from you. But somewhere in it all, you've been wounded. Now, we get to choose to walk around in life carrying that wound, or we get to choose to forgive them. And this is the key with forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't letting the other person off the hook. Forgiveness is letting you off the hook. Because the trouble is, when you hold forgiveness, they're getting on with life. That person who let you down and walked off, they're getting on with their life. They're happy as Larry. But you're holding it. The only person getting affected is you. And so when you choose to forgive and let it go, you're free. How about let God deal with that person and you deal with you? And here's the thing. Evie, could you just pass me that cup under there? I just want to show you a little something. This is light. Imagine it's a bit heavier. 
This is light. I could hold this like this for a very, very long time. Eventually, I'd probably get a bit tired, but I could hold it for a long time. And so often we've had an offense in life. Someone's let us down, someone's stolen something, someone's said something, and it sticks a little bit. But what you do is you think, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it affect me. You hold it at a distance. You haven't let it go because you keep talking about it now and then. You know when you let it go when you stop talking about it. You know when you let it go when you bump into that person in the street and you're all right with them. You don't cross over and pretend you haven't seen them. You know, the old, oh, didn't see him, didn't see him, didn't see him. We've all done it. When you're holding something at a distance, the difficulty is when you find yourself laying down, struggling with an issue, and Jesus coming to you saying, get up. Who knows? It's really hard to get up because I'm holding this thing. Get up, Barry. Get up, Barry. But this person hurt me, Jesus. Get up, Barry. Not interested in your issues. It's time to get up. But, but, but Lord, that person stole something from me. Well, get up, Barry. Do you know the first thing I've got to do? Forgive them. When I forgive them, I put it down. Get up, Barry. Oh, yeah. Do you see? So important. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Number two's coming out. And it, oh, no, what are they going to sing? But do you hear me? I don't know. I know I like to preach with, with humor, but this is serious. If you're holding something against anyone, let it go. The only person it's wounding is you. And when Jesus is coming saying, come on, it's time to get up, you can't get up. And the reason you can't get up is because you're holding something. And I'm not saying they deserve to be let off. I'm not saying you didn't get wounded. I'm not saying it wasn't their fault. I'm just saying don't hurt yourself over it. Let it go. Amen? Come on, touch three people and say, it's time to let it go. Last thing I want to say before maybe we pray for each other a bit is how about we step into our future? You know, we looked about things holding us back, but isn't it time, church, that we took a step forward, that we actually went for it? You know, we need to start changing our language from look what's happened to me and start changing it to look what God's doing in me. Something needs to shift. And I wonder if, if we could look at... Tunes. <laughs> I wonder if we could look at this thought process through the story of Peter on the boat when he walks on water. We will all know that story, or most of us will know that story. The 12 disciples are on the boat, all of them, 12. They're all on the boat. It's stormy. Jesus comes bowling over on the water, having a little stroll like Jesus does. Water. Jesus is doing something that's impossible for man. And they're all like, what? Jesus is bowling up, all right, guys? A bit of tunage while he's walking. Jesus is walking on the water, and they're all in the boat. All of them are in the same situation, same set of circumstances, same opportunity. One of them reacts differently to everyone else. Which one do we talk about? The 11 or Peter? Why? Because what happened is Peter looked at his set of circumstances, the same set of circumstances as everyone else. They're all in the boat. They're all in a safe place. They're all doing normal things for normal people. But who knows, we as the church aren't called to be normal. We are called to be miraculous. 
We are called to be supernatural. We're called to call heaven down from earth. We're called to be outrageous. It's not supposed to be ordinary. And so what happens is Peter sees Jesus and his eyes of faith just light up. Jesus, is that you? Yeah, yes, it's me. Do you know what he says? Can I do what you're doing? And Jesus says, go for it. And there's a faith shout in Peter's life. And he gets out of the boat. And again, we know the story, but it's not that pictorial. As he gets out of the boat, and I just wonder when his foot, his foot first touched the water, what was that like? What's going to happen here? And he gets the other one out. And he's standing there. I, I, what are the 11 doing? They're all like that. And he takes a tentative step. And he takes another tentative step. And he takes another tentative step. And he's looking at Jesus. He's like, wow. I'm, doing, I'm really doing it, man. And he walks to Jesus. We are talking about him. The trouble is, church, in our circumstances today, we all have similar circumstances. But who's going to be the one that stops looking at the circumstances and stays safe and starts looking at Jesus and does something outrageous? And who will we be talking about in 10 years' time? Will it be the person who came and sat at the back of Faith Church? Or will it be the person who came to Faith Church and says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm fully in. Even if it's a bit outrageous, I'll do it. We could be talking about you. We could be writing books about you. What would God do in a life for someone who has that attitude? Who on the inside of them says, I'll just do whatever it takes. Seems out there for me, but if Jesus can do it, I feel like I can do it. God is saying, come on church, get up. And step out. You know, I don't know what you need to do in your finances. Do you know that the kingdom works backwards? We say, God, provide for me, and then I'll give. But God says, you start giving, and I'll provide for you. Do you know how it works? God gives seed to the sower. And the sower sows seed, and it produces fruit. What we do is always say, God, give me some fruit. And he says, no, 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 I'm giving you some seed. Do you see it? So I don't know what you've got, and I don't know what your financial situation is, but my, if you're in a financial mess, give something. Don't give it all away. That's stupid. But do something. Do something which for you is a faith step. Give to a church, give to a person, give to a ministry. Sow it. Because when you sow it, God waters it and it produces fruit. And when God, what God wants to see fruit. And so what does he do? He gives seed to the sower. We're asking for money, but we're never sowing anything. When we start sowing something, God says, yes, I can bless that. Have some more money. Because it's actually seed. Do you see? So a key for someone who's in a difficult financial hole right now is, let's start looking at it from a heaven's perspective instead of a world's perspective. Jesus is in this boat. Uh, sorry, Peter's in this boat. They're all looking at it from a world perspective. Let's stay in the boat. It's safe. Peter says, no, I'm looking at it from a heaven's perspective. I can walk on water. And he gets out of the boat. We're all talking about him. Maybe you're someone today who's in a financial mess. Well, I've heard so many different stories by people who said, I just did something a little bit heavenish. It was a bit outrageous and I just did something. But you know what? I sit here in a new financial position. Maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to stop looking at our circumstances and start looking at Jesus again. Do you hear me? Maybe if you're someone in a health situation, and I don't know what that might look like for you, uh, and definitely do all the doctors that are asking, all the nurses are doing, definitely do that. Don't be stupid. God's given us doctors and nurses. God's given us understanding. That is brilliant. But is there a faith step somewhere? Even in the way you're talking. 
Not, oh, this is going to take 50 weeks to get sorted out. Maybe it's going to be, well, the doctor's declaration is this, but my faith declaration is something else. And I'm standing on that. Can you just see how the language changes, but it's all to do with what's going on the inside of you. Jesus wasn't interested in the lame guy's circumstances. He was interested in what was going on the inside of him. And so today, the same is true. God isn't interested. Well, he is, but he's not concerned with your circumstances. He's concerned with what's happening on the inside of you. Your circumstances will shift when something on the inside of you shifts. Are you hearing me? Just as um, a final thought, really. Um, I had this picture, and I've shared it elsewhere, and I think it's such a God thing right now, of this idea where you're believing for something, you're, you know, whatever it might be, something that, you know, where it's your turn of the thing you wanted. And it's like you're in, a, in, in the mall, in the, shop, in the shopping precinct. Got a bit American there, didn't I? I was in the mall. And, you know, they've got, the shop's got these massive, great big glass fronts, and behind the glass fronts, you can see all the goodies, all the stuff. And I don't know, you're, you're shopping, and behind the glass front is the very thing you wanted, the very thing you're believing for, the very thing you're, you're hoping for in terms of it being your turn. You can see it. But the trouble is, you can't get it because it's behind the great big thick glass. You can see it, but you can't get it. But this is what Jesus is saying to you, church. Walk towards it. And as you walk towards it, is that it was actually a movement recognition door. And that as you step towards the glass, it feels the movement and the glass slides away. And you could have got it all the time. And as you move towards it, the glass moves and you're able to get the thing and it actually is your turn. The issue always was that you were looking at it and you weren't taking five steps towards it. You were just looking at it saying, it's not my turn, it's not my turn, it's never my turn, it's not my turn. God's saying, it is your turn, but I'm doing something on the inside of you. Will you take a step? Whatever that step looks like for you. And as you step towards it, you're starting to see that it opens. And there it is all along. And you will have a testimony of the goodness of our God. And he loves you. And he loves you. And he loves you. He doesn't love Mike any more than he loves you. He loves us all the same. Whether you're new in this, whether you're looking for Jesus, not found him yet. Whether you're someone leading worship, he loves us the same. And so when you get into your quiet place, your voice carries weight with him because you're his kid. And he's your dad. And he's able. But he's looking to do something here and here and here. Change the way we're thinking. Change the way we're speaking. Change the way we're living to line up with a faith declaration kind of life. And it will be your turn. Should we stand and pray? Let me just invite you just to close your eyes a moment. Let's uh, give each other a bit of privacy and let's give Jesus our full attention right now. Come on, here's a moment. Father, I want to thank you for every amazing person that you've got this morning. Each of us different. Each of us unique, but each of us fearfully and wonderfully made. Let us be people that look out for each other. Let us be people that care for one another. But Lord, we thank you that you first care for us. You love us. So 
so, Lord, for every person here who feels like they've become stuck, for every person here who's looked around and feels like it's everyone else's turn and it's never my turn, I say to you in Jesus' name, it's your turn. It's your turn. But I challenge you, choose. Choose to speak different. Choose to see it different. Choose to think different. Choose to act different. Act like it is done in Jesus' name. You take a step, and it will be done for you. It's your turn. Lord, I just pray against every element of negativity that surrounded these people over the years and swamped them, where confidence has been lost, where there's been hurt. And I say, be well in Jesus' name. Let it go. Let faith arise. There's a testimony up for grabs. It's yours for the taking, but you've got to choose. So let that confidence grow to step out of the boat, to jump off the diving board, to do what it takes. We've got a testimony coming your way.